When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Hello again uh, for Sportsing Time with uh, the Buckeyes again. And I'm Doug at the Sportsing uh, microphone, and it's Buckeyes that are going to be talked about on this event of a podcast here today. Ah, I forgot on a podcast. All right. Bear with me, I'm back. Doug Maurice here on Buckeye Talk. I, I was gone over the weekend. I missed the first home game for no reason. Well, it's not a family reason. It's not no reason. Um, started in 05. Had never missed a game of any kind that Ohio State played it until the pandemic in 20. And then I didn't go to the games in 20. And then um, once my streak was broken, I didn't go on the road to Rutgers in Nebraska in 21 because Nathan and Steven had it. I was doing some Brown stuff, and it's a flight and whatever. It's in pay. But I missed the Arkansas State game because I was taking my daughter to college. That's important. You guys get it. So I'm back. So we're going to do our rants today on Sportsing Time with the Buckeyes talking. We're going to do the rants. I got rants from you guys. I'm going to be completely honest because what else am I on this podcast? I didn't watch the game yet. <laughs> I just got back late Tuesday night. I'm recording this starting at 11.45 Tuesday night. I have not watched it yet, but we're doing a lot of big picture stuff. Nathan and Steven had you guys covered on what happened with Arkansas State. So I'm going to run you through, again, the rants. I'm leaning on you guys even more than usual. Good reaction so far to the Wednesday rants and takes pod. I send it out to our tech subscribers. Say it's not questions. Give me strong opinions about the Buckeyes. Rants, takes on the Buckeyes. I was going to do like half yours, half mine. And now it turns out that I mostly do yours because you're so good. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off. Do they play too many night games? Is the music at the shoe too loud? Are there not enough bathrooms? Uh, how much do the Wisconsin and Notre Dame losses hurt? How good is Tommy Eichenberg? Is CJ Stroud going to run more? Should Michigan be ranked ahead of Ohio State right now? Should they stop scheduling these big non-conference games? Missing Jackson Smith and Jigba might be good. Why do they let CJ Stroud play so late into games? And at the end, we've been ending kind of with a Ryan Day topic because there's a lot of you guys are interested in the head coach of the team. Is Ryan Day too nice? And I knew we would get here at some point with people bringing this up. I'm not saying it's not a worthy discussion. If I didn't think it was a worthy discussion, if I thought it was zero, we wouldn't do it. Because I'm not going to like just pander to you guys. I mean, like I'm, I'm, you guys are bringing the good, so I'm going to talk about the good stuff. So we're going to have a conversation about that at the end. Uh, there actually was one, and I didn't hear this myself, but I get the Buckeye Talk text. I'm not just a, a texter. I'm a subscriber. So I get them from when Nathan and Steven send them as well. And I I, I saw on uh, Monday that Nathan had sent out a text when Jason Candle, the Toledo coach, they're playing Toledo this week at night. You guys know that. When the Toledo coach spoke um, with some reporters and Nathan was one of them, and it was one of those things that it, it immediately perks up my ears because this kind of stuff makes me nuts. This is what Ryan Day said that that Jason Candle said. Ryan Day had, quote, arguably the hardest job in America succeeding Urban Meyer. I hate coach speak like that. It actually, in real life, is closer to the whole wake up on third base thing that Jim Harbaugh said than it is to hardest job in America. Like Nick Saban taking over Alabama when they stunk was hard. Jim Harbaugh taking over Michigan when they stunk was hard. 
it's you don't take it for granted. And Ryan Day has done a great job. And when Ryan Day took over and he had Tate Martell and, and Matthew Baldwin as the quarterbacks and he went and got Justin Fields, that's real. But he inherited Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and J.K. Dobbins and all the guys on that team. He took over a fully functioning program that he had been a part of and, and seen from the inside and been a huge contributor to. But why do coaches have to stay stuff like Ryan Day had arguably the hardest job in America? It's not true. So don't say things like that. It takes away from what it is true, which is that Ryan Day has done a really good job steering this ship that was in really good shape when he took it over. But there's a lot of coaches in, in worse spots. So please stop saying, th- and they're never going to stop. They, like a coach can't just praise another coach. They have to, oh, it's the greatest. It drives me nuts. So when I saw Nathan's text on that, you know, I'm like moving my daughter into her dorm room on Monday. And I'm like, are you serious? So I knew I had my one rant. But we're going to get to your rants. We're going to do this. I actually did some research on the rants because you rant. I occasionally give facts. And we're starting off with this, that this Toledo game is at night, 7 o'clock. And then next week against Wisconsin is also at night. So Ohio State is starting with five straight home games because in the Rutgers game, the next week is also at home. First road trips week six to Michigan State. Three of the first four games are at night. And that is only the second time in Ohio State history that Ohio State has played three night games at home in the same season. They also did it in 2014 when they played Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, and Illinois. That Cincinnati game was a 6 o'clock start, though. I counted it at night, but that's still not 7.30 or 8, making you stay up super late. So they've never, in this way, they've never had a season like this. Never. And we don't know. They might have another night home game down the road. They might get one in October. I don't know. So that if they get to four home night games, they also have eight home games in general this year, which is super unusual. So there's more opportunity for night games. But I think this is too many. They have officially hit the point of too many night games, and you guys are ranting on that. This is Isaac from Dayton, Ohio, who with the Wisconsin game being a 7.30 kickoff on ABC, that makes three night games within the first four games. To me, this makes night games a little less special I wish they would stick to more noon games so that we don't have to wait all day just to watch them play a team like Toledo. Also, I love Chili's nachos. They are the best. Isaac, you are the best. More people thinking about this. From the 603, am I the only one that is tired of the night games? The noon and 3.30 time slaps seem so much better, especially for a team like Toledo. I know it's due to ratings, but it drives me crazy. Last one on the night games from the 614. It wasn't long ago that an Ohio State night game was a special event. A time reserved for um, a game against a Blue Blood program that would be remembered long after it was played. This Saturday night, we play Toledo. Barring a catastrophe, this game will be an afterthought by the end of the third quarter at the latest. The shoe is magnificent at night, and I wish it was reserved for a worthy opponent. So we've been heading this way, okay? In 2008, Ohio State played Penn State at night at home, okay? And that was the eighth night game in Ohio Stadium's history in 2008. I found a press release from that. And that press release emphasized how special night games were in 2008. To that point, they had played night games in 85, 93, 97, 99, 01, 03. The 05 Texas game, which is the first game I ever covered, was also a night game. That was the seventh. 08, Penn State was the 8th. They pointed out at that time in this press release, that night game was the 8th night game in 554 games in the history of Ohio Stadium. At that point, 1.8% of games in the history of Ohio Stadium were played at night. Since then, there have been 94, with up, if when we get to the Wisconsin game, the Wisconsin game next week, will be the 94th home game since that Penn State home game in 08. You guys with me? So it was 554 to Penn State. It's been 994 since then when we get to Wisconsin. The Wisconsin game will be the 20th night game of the 94. We will have gone from a point where that Penn State night game made it 1.8% of games were at night, where in the last 94 games, 21.3% of games are at night. This is too many. And this is where the Big Ten takes advantage of Ohio State. And Ohio State likes it, I think, but they are verging on the point of letting it happen. 
because to the, the point of some of the texters, it used to be the cool games, right? 08 Penn State, 09 USC, uh, 10 Marshall. That was like the first time they cracked the window on that. It was the Marshall game on a Thursday night. You remember that, guys? It was kind of weird. It was like, Ugh. but it was a Thursday night. So, okay. 11 Wisconsin, 12 Nebraska, 13 was Wisconsin and Penn State. 14 was Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, and Illinois. It's like, okay, Illinois at night, what are we doing? 15, Penn State and Minnesota. 16, Nebraska. 17, Oklahoma. 18, they were none. 19, Michigan State. 20, Rutgers on the Big Ten Network. And that was like, okay. 21, Akron on the Big Ten Network and Penn State. And now we got this Toledo game, which I think is on Fox. The networks won it. They won Ohio State at night. It's crazy. You have to go, but listen, when you get these huge TV contracts, right, you got to go along with it. Now, ESPN, ABC, they wanted the Notre Dame game at night, and they're getting the Wisconsin game at night. Fox, we know, loves the noon. ESPN, ABC still loves the night. So that's why it's, and then the 7 o'clock Toledo one is really the problem. And I think Ohio State should say no, because the, from a recruiting standpoint, the coaches do like some night games for the big games because you play Friday night, you have plenty of time to fly here Saturday morning, get here and get to the game if it's a night game. Urban liked that a lot. Nobody's nobody's coming to, to see Toledo. It's not a showcase game. It's only for the TV networks. And Ohio State already contributes so much to this. They should say no. And at least if it's a conference game, it's like, well, Rutgers is getting to be at night. And how else is Rutgers ever going to get to play a home game, uh, get to play a night game unless it's against Ohio State? But why are they playing Toledo? And why are they playing Akron at night? They're being they're being used and abused, and it's bad for the fans. If you guys are starting to complain about it, it's bad. Nobody wants this Toledo game to be at 7 o'clock at night. So I'm going to have to ask about this. It's too much. Now, I think it might stop or lessen starting next year. Why? New TV contract. It's going to be Fox, CBS, NBC. The way this is going to be is Fox is going to want those big noon games. CBS is going to want that afternoon window that frankly has kind of disappeared as an important window for the Big Ten, that 3.30 spot that used to be. What was bigger than a 3.30 game? ESPN's kind of gotten off those with the Big Ten. That's going to be back because CBS, which is losing the SEC in 24, so then they're really going to get more Big Ten games. They're going to have some Big Ten games next year. CBS is paying for a prime game there. So you're now going to have two afternoon windows that matter, where right now the TV agreement is split between Fox and ESPN ABC. And the ESPN ABC, you guys know, is the same thing, right? They're they're partners, just which one do they put it on? ESPN ABC wants Ohio State at 8 or 7.30. Fox wants them at noon. So if you have a big Ohio State game, it's like a 50-50 chance it's going to be at night almost. I think it's going to be a one-third chance going forward. Fox at noon, CBS at 3.30, NBC at night. Now, NBC is going to want the Buckeyes too, but you're going to split the valuable windows. You're going to add another valuable window because it feels like we've lost the value of that 3.30 window. So I don't think we'll be this will be as much of an issue going forward. The other thing is the Big Ten takes advantage of Ohio State on the road and playing night games. And at some point, Gene Smith, his I don't want to say changes, he does change his mind, but he changes his mind as... The game evolves, but this is like, again, it comes up with Gene. Gene, like, was, you know, a couple months ago was like, hey, I think I might want to play, if Ohio State hosts a playoff game, I think I want to play it in Indy. Then they say, hey, they're going to a 12-team playoff. You might host a game. And he's like, nah, I'm good. So that's fine. But there was a time when, like, Gene Smith did not really want night games at home. But they were getting night games on the road because that's how those 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 teams got to ever have a night game. So since 2005, it has been 22 home night games for Ohio State and 34 road. So they still do it more on the road. And I think at some point, Ohio State, if you look, for instance, um, let's see. The first time that Ohio State ever played two home games at night was in 2013. But up until that point, they had played multiple road night games in 06, 07, 08, 10, and 11. So they were getting in the spot where they're having to play on the road at night, which really screws up your travel. Guys are getting home at 5 o'clock in the morning. They have to go to class. Like it, It's screwy. It's, it's, it's much harder to play a, a night game on the road. And then Ohio State's like, well, if we're going to do that, then we may as well do it at home. So I think that's why they expanded their mind on that. 
but it's not good for you. It's not cool. Toledo at night is not cool. I don't know who Toledo at night is cool for. So I'll ask about this. If they get to, if they play half their home games at night this year, that is going to be a thing. So I definitely will ask about that. And I'm going to try to figure out, is my theory of it lessening in the future going to be a thing? But right now, these rants are right. Okay? I agree with you. Notre Dame, Toledo, Wisconsin, three of the first four at home, all at night is nuts. Music. We're getting old here. From the 614, here's my rant. I'm only 41, but I think I've officially crossed over into old man territory. The music at the shoe during timeouts is too loud. And then some random dude is yelling at us into a microphone about some crappy sponsored giveaway. The game and the band is enough for me. Tell those whippersnappers to keep it down and get off my lawn. Don't get me started on whippersnapper conversations because I will, I will, I will get there very quickly. I combined it with this from the 440. The shoe is in desperate need of renovation slash addition of restrooms and concessions. I had to strategically plan when to go to the restroom when I thought I would miss uh, the least amount of game action during the Notre Dame game. I decided to go when Notre Dame was about to score at the goal line, figuring they would score and that the lines would be at a minimum. I still missed half of the next series. There's got to be a better way. Bring back the troughs. So does this feel like, am I going to be like reporting from a men's room? Is that where we're headed? You know, I, I mean... Dateline, a men's room in Ohio Stadium. We are celebrating. I think it's cool that Ohio Stadium is 100 years old. It's also 100 years old. And maybe the bathrooms do need to get better. And maybe they need to turn down the darn music. I I do think the band is enough. And they do it at basketball games. But please don't let the football games become like basketball games. Like it's not. I don't know that anybody wants it. I don't even know that the youngsters do the youth, do the youth, if you're a youth, do you want that loud music at every commercial break? And also sometimes, depending who the TV network is, the commercial breaks are really long. So this is a lot of old man ranting. But it's rants. It's rants. I'm sorry. What are you going to do? All right. Quick break. We're going to come back, back on some on-field stuff. Talk about the Notre Dame and Wisconsin losses uh, this past weekend. Next on Buckeye Talk. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Doug Maurice back. These are our rants and takes. This is the third week we're doing this. This is the Wednesday pod. I saved some very good questions about the balance of our criticism of Ohio State. People who think, are the Buckeyes not as good as we think? Are they better than we think? This is something that I, after this is my 18th year of this, I feel like I'm an expert on, which is not knowing how to evaluate Ohio State. There is nobody better at not knowing how to evaluate Ohio State than Doug Maurice. He is an expert at not understanding what the team he covers is really doing. I can see it on a billboard. Confused about your team? Nobody's more confused than Doug Maurice because there's nothing more difficult to cover than a convincing win where you're not exactly sure if they played that well. And Ohio State lived in that zone during the Jim Tressler for a while. And it'd be like, the coaches would be like, well, we won, didn't we? It was famously one time Luke Fickle said, we won, didn't we? It was like, okay, is that really the conversation? Because against a team like Arkansas State, it's not the conversation. We're constantly trying to put Ohio State in context. But then when Bama practically loses to Texas, when Wisconsin actually loses, when Texas A&M actually loses, when um, Notre Dame loses to Marshall, then suddenly like not looking great every series against Arkansas State doesn't seem like that big of a deal. 
but the standard remains. So I want to make sure we have this conversation with the three of us. So we're going to lean into that on the Thursday uh, rapid fire pod. And we're going to talk a lot about so far and because it's going to come up again against Toledo. How are we trying to evaluate Ohio State and where do we think we might be getting it wrong as we're trying to place the opponents in context while simultaneously holding Ohio State to the own standard it has set for itself and to the standard that we believe the Buckeyes need to reach to be a legitimate national title contender? Because if we're never going to play the the we won, didn't we game here, that's not it. That is not it. And I think you guys agree with that. But we do have some people who think we, I mean, we hear this a decent amount of the time. We're too critical. So we're going to, I want to talk that out with Nathan and Steven, but that's going to be on the, on the Wednesday pod. Cause I don't, uh, I don't want to miss them on that, but specifically about Notre Dame, Wisconsin from the three, three, seven with Notre Dame, Wisconsin, both crapping the bed last weekend and hence two fewer potential marquee wins. Ohio state's margin for error has reduced from 11 to, and one, meaning they can be 11 and one and make the playoff to now needing to go 12 and zero in order to make the playoff. That is that take from the three, three, seven from the four, one, nine Notre Dame and Wisconsin did us no favors losing this weekend. If Ohio state goes four and zero to start, it may be the best win would be against this undefeated Toledo team, potentially, right? If Notre Dame and Wisconsin don't look good. But this weekend confirmed the fact that it's 100% on the Buckeyes to control their own destiny by winning every game. Margin doesn't matter. See Alabama, but they have no room for a loss. That's two people. From the 3-3-0, thoughts on Notre Dame's loss to Marshall and what does it mean for the Buckeyes? So I think the bigger context remains, I don't know who else is going <laughs> to make the playoff. How would an 11-1 and we're going to call 12 and 1 Ohio State Big 10 champs 12 and 1 Ohio State. How would they be let out let left out of a playoff? The only scenario at this point already is Bama and Georgia go undefeated, they meet in the SEC title game and both are in regardless and Clemson and USC run the tables in the Pac-12 and the ACC. Or Oklahoma does it in the Big 12, right? But like Baylor just lost to BYU. I still think Baylor's probably the best team in the Big 12. I don't think anyone's going to come out of the Big 12. I think Clemson and USC could go undefeated. So that's the scenario you're now talking about. But you're also saying, would 11-1 Ohio State not get in against, for instance, an undefeated USC or an undefeated Clemson? This is a reminder that good Michigan, and I know some of you hate good Michigan. This is a reminder that good Michigan might be Ohio State's best friend. Entering the season, these were the teams on Ohio State's schedule in the preseason AP rankings. There were four that were in and two that barely missed. Notre Dame was five, Michigan was eight, Michigan State 15, Wisconsin 18, and then Iowa was 28 and Penn State was 29. We are now at a point where Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Iowa are all out. They're way down there. Iowa got no votes, thank God. Wisconsin and Notre Dame barely got it. Barely got any. So the three ranked teams on the schedule at the moment are four Michigan, 11 Michigan State, 22 Penn State. I think Penn State might be pretty decent. And I think Michigan State might be pretty decent. The idea that Ohio State Michigan could play a top five game on the last game of the regular season and the winners going to the Big Ten championship game, man, that's going to carry a lot of weight. And this is why you want Michigan to be good. I know some of you want Michigan to, to go 0-12. But if Notre Dame stinks and Wisconsin stinks, 0-12 Michigan is not doing Ohio State any favors. So I think Michigan is real. We need to talk more about Michigan. We will. I think there are multiple real things to Michigan. And I think that might carry the day for Ohio State. I do not think they are at the point with the Wisconsin and Notre Dame losses that it's undefeated or bust for a playoff spot. But I can understand why people are creeping that way. But creep slowly. Notre Dame, I think, is going to have a rough year. Shahan and I on the College Football Survivor Show, and we would invite you guys to listen to that. There's a show for Apple subscribers early in the week and then a free show for everybody that comes out on Wednesday or Thursday. We're going to talk about Michigan, but we never liked Notre Dame that much there. I, th- I thought Notre Dame had some good things about them long term with their schedule. I didn't think they were a playoff contender playing Ohio State, Clemson, BYU, and USC this year. We always loved BYU, and we were right on that. We were right on both counts. Notre Dame was never a real playoff contender. BYU always was. But 
Notre Dame, I think, is going to wind up looking better than it does right now. Young quarterback, young coach. This is a little bit of like what I thought might happen with Justin Fields and Ryan Day in 19, and it didn't. But it is happening with Marcus Freeman and Tyler Buckner. So I don't, I don't think Notre Dame's terrible. But that was a bad loss. That's a bad loss, right? And I kept saying things this offseason, like, what if Graham Mertz is good? And trying to, I think, maybe wish Wisconsin into existence. The whole Big Ten West stinks. So Wisconsin still could win it just because they had a ridiculously goofy game against Washington State where they did a lot of things wrong. I wouldn't totally give up on them. But the bottom line is I do not think we are at Ohio State must be 13-0 to make the playoff. We're not there yet. Let's talk about Tommy Eichenberg briefly because I, I want to bring some of the guys in on this at some point. From the 6-2-6, here's my take. Tommy Eichenberg is playing really well this season. I know it's only through two games against, well, not Alabama, but I think he's playing as well as we have seen a middle linebacker play since Raquan McMillan. Yes, it's early in the season. But I think Tommy Eichenberg could be an all-Big Ten type linebacker this year. What do you guys think? Love the pods and texts. That's Xander from SoCal. I will say I said out loud to somebody the other day, what if Tommy Eichenberg is James Laurinaitis? <laughs> this is, again, this is, this might fall into my what if Graham Mertz is good category. James Laurinaitis, James Laurinaitis is one of the few three-time All-Americans in Ohio State history. But James Laurinaitis was a guy who did what he did on, he was a very, he's a very good athlete. He's not the best athlete. That's why he fell into the second round. Tommy Eichenberg's not going to be a second round pick in the NFL draft. But I always say with James Laurinaitis, I don't care what his 40 time is because he's going to know what the play is and get to get started before everybody else does, right? So what if I have made Tommy Eichenberg joking sometimes and sometimes not joking comparisons to Tough Borland over the years? And what if he is much closer to James Laurinaitis? Now, you don't have to be – just because you're closer to James Laurinaitis than you are Tough Borland doesn't make you an All-American, doesn't make you an All-Big Ten player. But Jim Knowles does seem to be using him effectively. He's blitzed really well. He seems to be in the right spot. And I – we may be seeing something come around here. Now, he, he wasn't that good at times last year because he stopped playing for a while, right? So – this would be new, but I didn't. I don't think I ever thought he would get here. And I think it. You guys see it. The texter sees it. Xander sees it. I think it. There have been good things, but it's also how Jim Knowles is using him, and that there is a connection. Again, Jim Knowles loves Ronnie Hickman. I think Jim Knowles loves Tommy Eichenberg. He loves sort of the the brains of this defense, and I think he's unlocking something in Tommy Eichenberg with the way he's using him. So. Like with Mayan Williams, I'm open to it. We just have to, and here I am, I'm dropping James Laurinaitis, and I'm like, but don't go too far, everybody. I just said, well, what if he's like a three-time All-American? Here on the Buckeye Zone, we're, we're, we're doing the Buckeye talking, and we always are rapping about Ohio State, every of my dudes and dudesses. He's better than I think I thought he was. So let's see where that goes. But it's nice... We got another one I didn't grab about like Baron Browning being good in the NFL now and like why did the coaches do this to him? They have not for a while, I think. I think Al Washington was okay. I think he was okay. Bill Davis was bad. They've missed a linebacker coach since Luke Fickle left. And what if they have a linebacker's coach that's actually making the linebackers look good? That's not to take away from Tommy Eichenberg because the player still has to do it. But I think we've gotten so accustomed to the linebacker coaches not bringing out the best in the linebackers that it was like, oh, well, Jerome Baker and Dante Booker and Tough Borland and Baron Browning. And I guess Pete Warner was good on his own, but still, I don't know that we ever knew how good Pete Warner was. And then he was a second round pick. What if now we're in a zone where the linebackers coach is making the linebackers play their best? Let's keep that in mind. This was about C.J. Stroud. My newest take is from the 5-1-3. C.J. is going to have a game with 75-plus rushing yards at some point this season. It feels like he's moving around more outside the pocket. And there were a couple moments against Arkansas State I thought he would have run if it had been against a tougher opponent or in a closer game like the one he had against Michigan that was unfortunately called back. The zone read still appears to be part of the offensive scheme, and any opposing coach with a brain watching film will see it and note that the quarterback never keeps. Some team, maybe Penn State, 
is going to sell out the stop Travion Henderson and give up the edge, and C.J. will finally keep it himself and scamper for a big game gain, and it won't be the only time he does it in that game. I've always felt Day keeps tricks up his sleeves, and I believe this is the next one. That's from the 5-1-3. So if you're selling me on scramble when it's absolutely there a couple times a game, and if you're selling me on not giving in the zone read for half a season and then in the third quarter against Penn State, keeping it in the zone read twice after like not keeping it all year, I I can buy all of that. It's just not fundamental. And he's always going to look to throw first, and they are never going to make him a fundamental part of the run game with the zone read. It's always going to be an RPO, a run pass option off that, where, yes, He's going to look and they're going to have a mesh point. He's going to, CJ's going to read the defense and read the end and read defensive keys to figure out what I'm going to do. But he's still going to throw it much more in that situation than he's going to keep and then run. If you're telling me, like, could he have a keep the defense honest five zone read runs this season? Okay. But when I say I don't want to talk about CJ running it, I'm talking about I don't want to talk about CJ running it as some kind of primary component of the run game in a called run, and I don't want to talk about CJ scrambling six times a game. So if it's a trick, if it's the new trick, like that CJ Stroud running is a trick play, then that means it's not expected and they don't normally do it. So all of that I buy, and any good quarterback, he's more athletic, right, than Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or a lot of these guys that I I compare CJ to because, again, his brain's like a computer and he's going to process, 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 find guys, find guys, find guys, accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. He, he can run more than Peyton Manning, right? So, yes, but in the context of, of when we have traditionally talked about running quarterbacks, again, I just think we got way out over our skis with Dwayne kept it three or four times in that Maryland game in the 52-51 Maryland game in 2018. Everybody was like, look at Dwayne Haskins. He's tough. He ran it. It's like week 11. And it was like desperation because like they had to score in every possession because the defense stinks. So like, yes, all of that, but not normally. But I, but the point is worth making, which is why I grabbed the text, right? The point is worth making. CJ knows that. And again, he said that he, he wants to throw it first. He wants to let his receivers get those yards. But I do think if it's obvious, if it's staring him in the face, he'll take a 12-yard run at some point this season when it's looking right at him. Let's do this one from the 614. Michigan deserves to be ranked higher than Ohio State right now. They are blowing teams off the field while Ohio State has struggled against what now appears to be similar competition. J.J. McCarthy makes them even more dangerous, and he's only going to get better. The underestimating Michigan vibe is at DEFCON minus one for me. I'm bad at the DEFCONs. Is it a higher DEFCON or lower DEFCON? I don't know. I think I agree. Except for the part about the competition level, because uh, Colorado State and Hawaii stinks. Um, On the uh, betting show with T. Shue, he and I went head to head on Michigan. I think Michigan was given 52 and a half against Hawaii. And I felt great when the score was 42 nothing at halftime because I thought Michigan would keep scoring because they were going to play the two quarterbacks they were both going to play. And then they went to their third stringer eventually. But I thought, oh, they have two quarterbacks that are playing. They're in a quarterback competition. They'll both play well. And then Cade McNamara came in and was awful, threw a pick. It was terrible. I think Cade McNamara came in and went like punt, punt, pick. So there went the 52 and a half. They didn't cover. But that quarterback competition's over. Like, it's J.J. And I think you have to give Harbaugh a ton of credit on this. I think, believe it or not, Jim Harbaugh handled his quarterback situation with Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy last year and this year exactly perfect both times. Because last year, he gave the five-star freshman little wrinkle looks. He gave him blowout looks. But he had... It's Stetson Bennett of the North. Good enough. With a great defense and a great run game, good enough. They made the playoff. They beat Ohio State. They had the best year they could have. So he get and he did it. And if he had screwed up quarterback, if he had gone to JJ, like he got JJ McCarthy enough experience to help get him ready for this year, but he got them to the playoff. So last year, I thought they were gonna get to JJ McCarthy during the year. They didn't. Turned out to be Jim Harbaugh was exactly right. This year, off-season competition, everyone kind of thinks it's going to be K. JJ has the labor issue, no surgery, he's resting it. Harbaugh says all the right things about K- about Cade McNamara 
in the summer at Big Ten Media Days, people were like, hey, you're saying it's a competition. You're, you're, you know, you're just, you said Cade McNamara is not the number one guy. And he said, when did I ever say that? I never said he wasn't the number one guy. So he said all the right things, I think to the point of almost misleading Cade McNamara because Cade McNamara seemed very surprised with the plan for Cade McNamara to start week one and J.J. McCarthy to start week two. And guess what the plan showed? That J.J. McCarthy is clearly better. So it feels ruthless. And it feels like he did, he sort of brought the competition out to the public. So he said, I'm going to show you what I've been seeing, which is it's time for the five star sophomore to play. So I think JJ McCarthy makes Michigan more dangerous for the last Saturday in November against Ohio State. I think it makes them more dangerous every week. I think it gives them. A, chance, a better chance to sort of overcome the fact that their defense, I think, is still good, but of course not as good as last year. Their run game is still good. I think Michigan's good. And I think Jim Harbaugh deserves a lot of credit for it. And so if in the offseason we did a lot of Michigan stuff, right? I don't know. The defense, how much should you fear them? Oh, is it? They're good, man. Like they are, I think, in the end... I think I gave Notre Dame a 1% chance more of beating Ohio State than Michigan. I mean, clearly, I think that was wrong. Michigan is a better team than Notre Dame and a bigger threat to Ohio State. So should they be ranked higher right now? Hawaii is really bad. And so I still think beating Notre Dame, I know they're not ranked and they just lost to Marshall, but there are some talent things you can let your eyeballs do. I'm still okay with Ohio State being ahead of Michigan, but Michigan deserves to be in the top five for sure. So we are going to keep talking about Michigan. I think you guys know this now, right? We're going to keep talking about Michigan because they deserve it. All right. Rant take from the 614. Ohio State should stop. This is a really interesting take because it's backed up. And I would I would offhandedly be like, no. And then I read it and I was like, hmm, which is, makes it a good take. Ohio State should stop scheduling major non-conference games. In the playoff era, they've only helped once, 2016 Oklahoma. So that really did help. Ohio State had like a, a good road win at Oklahoma. Then they had a good road win at Wisconsin. Then they could overcome the loss at Penn State. And then they had the great home win against Michigan. So they needed the Oklahoma and Wisconsin and Michigan wins to overcome the Penn State loss and get into the playoff as a three seed at not even making the Big Ten championship game. So yes, 2016 Oklahoma was necessary. 2014 Virginia Tech hurt. 2015 Virginia Tech didn't help. 2017 Oklahoma hurt. 2018 TCU didn't help. 2021 Oregon hurt. If they play Oregon State last year instead of Oregon and win, they've played Oregon State. They played Oregon State the very first game. Ryan Day was a head coach when Urban was suspended. They dropped 77 on them. Now, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State's getting better, but they would have beaten Oregon State last year. If they beat Oregon State last year, they're undefeated going to Michigan. They lose to Michigan. They probably get in ahead of Cincinnati. So, again, it's one of those discussions. We wound up having discussions about what if they had beaten Oregon? What if they didn't play Oregon? It's interesting. 2022 Notre Dame won't help. In 2019 and 2020, the Buckeyes didn't play a Power 5 non-conference game, and they made the playoff both years. That's a great point. They made it in 2020 and only played six lousy games. Just play this year's Michigan schedule, right? Because Michigan's playing Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn in the non-conference. And pile up the W's. In the end, no undefeated Power 5 team has ever been penalized for its schedule. You only get penalized for losing. Now, not as fun. What are we talking about fun? I think 2019 is the real example here. 2019, they play Florida Atlantic. Cincinnati, and somebody else lousy in the non-conference. They blow everybody out. They go undefeated, and we they never really get tested, right? Justin Fields and Ryan Day, all the credit in the world for that in 2019, but they're not really tested because the schedule is weirdly bad because 19, originally the TCU series was a home-and-home. Home. It got switched to a neutral site game, and again, like the playing in at the Cowboys Stadium as a neutral site for TCU, which is in Fort Worth, but that's what they did. So instead of having 18 and 19... They made it only 18, and that meant no big-time non-conference game in 19, which they never do. It's not their philosophy. Their philosophy is to have one of these. You guys know that. That's why they have Alabama on the schedule for 17 and 18. But the idea of does it help them is very persuasive, I think. Because in 15, right, in 14, they lose to Virginia Tech, and it almost keeps them out of the playoff. 
And in 15, they beat Virginia Tech, and it does nothing to help them when they lose one Big Ten game and don't get in the playoff. Nobody said, hey, well, they beat Virginia Tech, though, right? It's an interesting argument. Now, we want fun games. You want them. I want them. Ryan Day, I think, probably with players, want them. They want the attention. They want the spotlight. They want the primetime national showcase. It's fun. It's why you come here. Paris Johnson says, hey, blocking Isaiah Foskey against Notre Dame in primetime. That's why I came here. So, of course, you're giving up the fun and the excitement. But if you're just talking about making a four-team playoff, I think you are making a persuasive case, Texter. Now, the issue is going to be it's going to be a 12-team playoff, and Ohio State's going to make it with three losses. So, that's the part of the regular season, right? If I say, well, the devastating losses won't hurt as much. Well, it incentivizes playing the games that they're already playing anyway. But if Gene Smith read your text and said, you're right, we're done playing them. He wouldn't say that now because in the 12-team playoff, that wouldn't that would no longer apply. But the point that's being made here is persuasive in a four-team world. 12-team playoff, they're going to make it no matter what. So everybody can play these fun games. If you lose, you lose. It's going to be like the NFL. You're going to be expected to lose and still get in. So the people who like the playoff, one of the things they say is, we're going to get more of that. For the teams that never make the playoff, suddenly they have life. Great. But for the big boys who are constantly thinking about the playoff, they... The wins will still help you, but the losses won't hurt as much. Whereas right now for Ohio State, the losses have really hurt. And the wins haven't really done anything most of the time. So I I thought it was a persuasive rant. And if it was still a 14 playoff world, I would take the rant to Gene. I would take him to Gene Smith and say, and I know what he would say. Well, we're not going to be afraid of that. We want to do that. We want the profile. We want our players to play in big games. We're Ohio State. We're not afraid of that. But if you try to got down to the nitty gritty of it, it would be hard to refute. Well done on that text. From the 559, it's Seth in Denver. Jackson Smith and Jigba being out for most of the Notre Dame game and for week two is going to be one of the most important and positive developments for the entire season in the chase for a national title. In week one, the receivers did not have the confidence nor the chemistry built with C.J. Stroud. They underperformed as a whole, but it was on their shoulders when the lights were bright, and that's important. Emeka Buka did step up in week one when JSN was out, and Marvin Harrison Jr. stepped up in week two. JSN being out put pressure on these guys to perform when they were the only options, and they stepped up in a major way. Now they have one star and two guys with all the talent in the world who have done it in real games. So, from the 559. I would say that's what we thought the Utah game was, right? That Marvin Harrison did, Jr. did that against Rose Bowl, uh, against Utah in the Rose Bowl. Amekek Buka to a lesser point, although he did play some outside receiver in that game. But Ryan, they also said, you know, this year, like, well, yeah, the Utah thing, but this is still, real, this is different. So I, if you were Ohio State, what do you choose? You choose your best players to be healthy. So I, I never like discussions where a bad thing happens and then you're like, hey, it's great the bad thing happened because sometimes bad things happen. But I don't know that anyone could disagree with the overall point, right? You put it on these guys and we've been having receiver conversation and then Marvin Harrison Jr. goes out and lights it up. So we'll see. Um, I think we still, like we want to see what it looks like when Jackson's doing his thing and drawing attention and that frees up everybody else. But in the end, I can imagine if Marvin Harrison Jr., catches two touchdowns against Michigan or if a Mekag Buka has a huge game events against Penn state later in the year, them saying things like, you know what, early in the year when I had to step up and do that, it really, you know, gave me the confidence to know that I could succeed and guys will say stuff like that. So yes, there, there certainly is a component of that in the end. I think it'd be better for everybody if Jackson Smith and Jigba was completely healthy, especially for better for anybody who predicted him to have say, I don't know, 2000 receiving yards this season. I'm a little bitter about that. Like, just, I just thought it would have been so fun. I think he could have done it. I'm just bitter that, like, I think he was an extraordinary player in an extraordinary situation, and it was bang, taken away from the jump. And so he still has a great season out ahead of him. But, man, I was, I really would like to see that chase because I think he could have done it. All right, quick break. When we come back, keeping quarterbacks in the game. And is Ryan Day too nice? Next. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk for the last two of this. Again, uh, this is our Wednesday rant show. Thursday, we'll do some rapid fire with me and Nathan and Steven. Friday, game preview. Talk about Ohio State, Toledo. Nathan, Steven, and I will do that. And betting the Buckeyes. You now know that on Friday, you're getting two Ohio State podcasts. One is the regular preview. One is the gambling show with me and Tyler Shoemaker. Having a lot of fun with that. Good reception so so far. Um, if you guys haven't listened to that, I would encourage you to try it. Because again, Tishu is just smart and interesting. And you don't have to be betting to enjoy it. It's just another way to think about football. I think it helps your understanding. He was put in Arkansas State in context last week. I think he had him uh, 100th in his power ratings. He's going to put Toledo in context this week. He has Toledo as clearly the best team in the MAC. So this is like real stuff. So sometimes when people think about things like a gambler, there's still really relevant football stuff in there, even if you're not gambling. Plus, TSU and I just have a good time. So we try to do Break up the two ways to preview a game and, and make them both a little shorter. I'm going to try to get them both. I'd like them both of those shows to be half an hour, but you guys know me and us, and we like to yammer. I call it yammer. Yammer time. Um, you know, you go to the playground with your kid, and, like, you know, the parents are there, and it's yammer time. Da, na, na, na. Oh, my gosh, with the yammer. So I we get into the yammer time on this. Uh, sometimes too, but I'd love for both those preview shows to be half an hour. So you get an hour of preview content, two different shows combined. We'll see if we can do it. CJ Stroud played right until the final series. He played 11 series against Arkansas state. Kyle McCord got one at the end from the three, three Oh, thanks for the rant invite and the joys and the voice of Jerry Seinfeld. What's up with Ryan day and keeping his quarterback in until the fourth quarter. Final score was the same as midway through the third, and Kyle McCord only got one short series of work. It reminds me of him leaving in fields against Penn State three years ago in 2019 and getting his knee dinged, which hindered his play against the next three opponents. McCord needs a few serious reps with the first team against these inferior teams. What say you? That's Chris in the 3-3-0. Also, from the 7-4-0, rant. When will Ryan Day stop putting the quarterback in late in blowouts? It never seems to lead to any more points, and it just drives me nuts. So... Back in the day, as it related to Braxton Miller mostly, Ari Wasserman and I used to have rip-roaring fights about this. Because my point always was, if you take out your starting quarterback at the point where you don't need him anymore to win, at Ohio State, he wouldn't play at all in half the games. If you took out C.J. Stroud when the game was in hand against Arkansas State, he could have gone to California for the weekend. So it's about where you draw the line. And I always say, playing football is fun. And it's why you get up in January at 5 o'clock in the morning and lift weights. And it's why you do mat drills. And it's why you sit and study film. And it's why you stay after practice and throw extra. And it's why you do 7-on-7 stuff with the receivers on your own in the summer. It's why Mick Marotti shapes your body and why Ryan Day trains your mind. And why you do it. It's because you like to play. Yes, you want to be a millionaire. But if you, again, if you just want to be a millionaire, you could probably wrap yourself in bubble wrap after one season and then just get ready for the combine. And C.J. Stroud could be in California working out right now, which I used to always say, go to Malibu. Like, why are you here? Go to Malibu. And the reason is because playing football with your friends is fun. So that's my main point on this. So I, and also the secondary point in this is Ryan Day is never going to say it, but do you guys want C.J. Stroud to win the Heisman? You can't win the Heisman. It makes it, take that back. It makes it harder to win the Heisman if you don't play in the second half against Arkansas State because you got to get some yards and some points. In the first half, Ohio State had six drives, three touchdowns, one field goal, two punts. CJ Stroud played five drives. Um, After that, three touchdowns, no field goals, two punts. So overall, played 11 drives, six touchdowns, one field goal, four punts. But Three Ohio State touchdowns were in the first half. Three were in the second half. So I have no problem with this. Guys are here to play. And if it's good with, like, CJ wants to play, I would imagine. So, of course, you have to, if you have your first-team quarterback in, you have to have your first-team offensive line in. And also, 
we kind of thought against Notre Dame, maybe the passing game wasn't a thousand percent on point. So you know what helps that? Game reps. Now, the Justin Fields against Penn State in 2019 was bazonkers. I think it's arguably the worst decision of Ryan Day's head coaching career at Ohio State with about 2.30 left against Penn State. Ohio State's up 28-17. They have fourth and five from their own, from the Penn State 27. So they're too close to punt. They don't want to risk a 44-yard field goal that if it gets blocked, all of a sudden Penn State can block that and return it. So Ryan Day calls like this weird little rollout, and he kind of told Justin like, hey, if you don't see anything, just chuck it out of bounds. But Justin tried to make a play. He got tackled. He landed awkwardly, and the knee affected him against Michigan the next week and then in the Big Ten Championship game. And it was it, the, it was a terrible explanation. But part of the issue was like they did not – they literally did not have a backup quarterback they trusted. So even to say – on fourth down, put in your backup quarterback and have him run around and do it. They didn't trust the guy, but they should have handed it to their running back and had their running back try to run for it. To put Justin with 2.30 left in an 11-point game on fourth down, that's not what we're talking about with C.J. Stroud. We're talking about some of you maybe think he should play two series in the second half. Some think he should play three quarters, but not play in the fourth quarter. Ryan Day played him 11 series and only got... Kyle McCord work at the end because let's keep this a CJ conversation first. So bring it like that is a, the, the Penn State situation. If we see another quarterback situation like we did again in the Penn State game, I'm going to ask Ryan Day a thousand questions about it. That was ridiculous. There's no logical explanation for that. And it did cost them. And the best thing that could have happened was they would have picked up the first down that would have then allowed them to take knees, except they didn't pick up the first down and it didn't matter. Like, they didn't get the thing that they had Ryan Justin Fields in the game for. And Ryan Day told him, if it's not there, throw it out of bounds. So he was prepared for the outcome to not be what they wanted anyway. And then he risked the health of his most valuable player to do it. And, and Justin Fields wasn't going to win the Heisman in that moment. And he wasn't going to get a valuable rep that was going to help him down the line. They were just trying to ice the game with a weird little rollout for the the invaluable dude they couldn't lose. So I do think that was indefensible. This, I think, is completely defensible. It's just where you draw the line. And I think guys want to play. So, yes, Kyle McCord needs to get ready for next year. Yes, game reps will help that. Yes, when C.J. Stroud didn't get to throw a single pass in 2020 because of the pandemic, backing up Justin Fields, we made a big deal about the next year. Hey, C.J. Stroud's never thrown a pass before. So, of course, the game reps matter. Toledo's coming. Rutgers is coming, and I think especially without Jackson, they want to work some stuff out with Marvin and Emeka and CJ. So I think it was fine last week, and CJ's trying to win the Heisman, and they're here to play. So it's another conversation I don't love generally. Just like if if the if the best if the most interesting thing we had to talk about is whether the starting quarterback in a blowout should have come out. After the third quarter, midway through the third quarter, midway through the fourth quarter, we should find better things to talk about. But the Justin thing like made it more real, right? Because that's recent history. I think we're okay. My advice would be it's okay. And in the end, if, you're, if your first concern with C.J. Stroud was injury, the number if your number one thing that you said from the Arkansas State game is he can't get hurt, he wouldn't have dressed because they could have won without him. All right, last one. So this is what happens when a coach with a different style succeeds a coach with a different style. It, it happens in every sport all the time. You guys know it. I knew we'd get here eventually on this topic. Two questions about it. Two rants this week. From the 513. Ryan Day must be soft. I understand he's labeled as a player's coach, which undoubtedly has helped him on the recruiting trail. But after last year's debate on the team's toughness and this year starting with countless undisciplined penalties, is that label a bad thing? Does that make you softer on your players and make you not coach them as hard? In this new era of college football, I don't think being labeled as a player's coach is a bad thing. But it makes me wonder if it also can prevent you from getting 100% out of your players. And this one from the 919. Hi, Doug. Here's my take. Ryan Day is too laid back. I miss the intensity that Urban Meyer brought to the team. The lack of focus and stupid penalties seems to be emblematic of a too friendly player culture. I know that with NIL and the transfer portal, coaches have to tread lightly. 
but I wonder if the pendulum hasn't swung too far under Ryan Day. Maybe Day is just good at hiding it, and behind the scenes he is getting after it, but I doubt that. He said all the right things last year regarding the defense, and it never really got better. We just played less talented teams. I love seeing them sit Proctor, but then there he is again out there at safety playing the majority of the snaps. Where was Lathan Ransom? At this point, I wouldn't play any senior if a sophomore can play equally well. Day is just too soft. I suspect that Jim Knowles would have played Ransom and Day vetoed it out of loyalty. A Meyer team of equal talent would clean, clean this team's clock. Okay, so let's start with a direct comparison to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer kept guys on edge. I don't know if fear's the right word, but he certainly, um, I think, motivated from a point of discomfort. That is the right word. And I don't think Urban would disagree with that. Urban wanted you to be uncomfortable and believe that the lack of comfort kept you sharp and it made you strive for greatness. And as Urban made very clear, very publicly, the better players were treated differently, right? It was the whole winning loser culture. It was the the blue, yellow, red uh, jerseys. It was the um, the different labels that it was always, everything was a competition. You were constantly competing. Urban believed the entire program was constantly competing, right? If you could rank it, he wanted to win it. And so that culture, culture permeated Ohio State and kept the Buckeyes on edge. And just talking from enough people to, you know, enough people over the years, was it, it wasn't comfortable, right? And I do think the Ryan Day culture is more comfortable. Now, does that mean it's soft? I, I think that's a very tough label to apply. And I don't, we don't have evidence of that right now. From what I've heard, Ryan Day does get after guys when it's time to get after them. And from, you know, he, he very clearly made the decisions that needed to be made from a coaching standpoint with changing the staff, the defensive staff last year. Al Washington out, Kerry Combs out, right? I mean, that was that was not friends time, that was business time. I think we have to be careful with any direct comparisons to Urban because I think it's possible that the only two coaches in modern college football who could win through discomfort and win through keeping guys on edge might be Saban and Meyer. And that there's a lot of other guys who try to do that, and you end up being Scott Frost. You end up being Scott Frost, who's bragging about how many offensive linemen are puking in practice, and then can't get his team over the top in any close game and gets fired. So to look to look for the next Urban or to want Day to be Urban, I think is a fruitless search. To acknowledge that Urban and Ryan Day do it differently is the obvious and smart thing to do. To wonder which one is more effective, I think is fair. At the moment, the way Urban coached did help this team. Now, this team in 14, they lose early, which creates a natural edge. And then I think he leaned into that, right? Now, in 15, I think, you know, they tried to keep the edge. Maybe you would say they weren't able to keep it, but they certainly had struggles. That team, as good as 14 was, and you look at what Urban and that team did in 14 and say that. That's what I want my team to be. 15, would you you would look at and say, that is not what I want my team to be. That was a supremely talented team that couldn't get out of its own way, couldn't figure out the quarterback situation, and had way too much talent to wind up where it did. So you can, and also then it's like you get to like the Purdue game in 18 and the Iowa game in 17, and you start to maybe ask, did that constant edge grind them down? I'm not saying it did, but I think we also, we can't be blind to the idea that there's good and bad with both. So the highs of Urban, Urban absolutely pushed that. Now, they were supremely talented because the program recruited at such a high level and then developed and did the strength program and all that stuff. But Urban drove that team to that level in 14, right? Utmost credit for that. Few coaches could have done that. He did it. He's one of... Like He's one of the best coaches of this era. He has one of the 10 best winning percentages in college football history. He's rare. Most guys who try to... Listen, I think Chris Ash tried to do it like Urban. Tried to be mini Urban at Rutgers? Failure. I think Tom Herman tried to be mini Urban at, at Texas? Failure. The guys who come from the Urban tree who try to be Urban? Fail. Because only... You really got to thread the needle to be able to do it that way. You have to have a certain charisma... 
You have to have a certain ruthlessness, I think. You have to have a certain attitude. You have to have a certain focus and singular focus and dedication, which has all this stuff. And I try to make this point in life. Most of the things that are someone's undoing is the exact same thing that made them successful to begin with. It's not the opposite. It's all the same. It comes from the same place. The good and bad in a lot of us comes from the exact same place. And the context changes. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. In the NFL, the Urban Meyer way seemed maniacal. Nobody wanted it. We got stories about him kicking a kicker. In college, they won a national title. In college, they were as successful as any program for seven years. He also burned out everywhere he went. So keep that in mind when you're saying, if Urban was here, if Urban was here. It's a certain style that is very effective in a certain way. But I also do think in some ways, and again, talking to guys, maybe the connection to the players over time is not quite as deep because it's more transactional. It's a little more business oriented. It's a little more, let's chase this ring together. And maybe a little less, like I've got your back no matter what, because again, Urban's style clearly is if you succeed you will be rewarded if you don't succeed maybe you won't be here ryan day is he soft he's different the stories you hear about the culture i think they are different i think maybe guys feel like ryan day has their back a little more it's not out of discomfort i think i think there's a general feeling of if you said urban do you want your guys to be comfortable he'd say no Ryan, do you want your guys to be comfortable? I think he'd say yes. And again, when you try to paint with too broad of a brush, everybody would push back against this. So I'm trying to say things that if Urban Meyer and Ryan Day heard me saying these things, they'd say, well, that's fair. I get that. Not because I'm trying to kiss their butt, but because this is a public forum and I'm not I'm not trying to take shots thinking that, like they would never hear that. I want to be fair, but I want to be truthful. So I think it's comfort versus discomfort. Now, the toughness question was talked about all offseason. Ryan addressed it head on. He wants to build that. Do you have to have more of an edge to build that? Possibly. Does he want to be more than a passing guru? Yes. Did they make the tough decisions from the coaching standpoint, which I think gives you some indication of how you handle players? Okay. I think that's fair. But I do think some of this is on the table this year. Now, what are you willing to sacrifice? And I do think that the point about things have changed, NIL, player empowerment, It's easier to do sort of a top-down, my way or the highway kind of thing when the people below you don't have much power. Players do have more power than they had five years ago, than they did eight years ago when Ohio State won the national championship. So that is real. Does it mean you have to be soft to keep them happy? No. Great players want to be coached hard. Great players want to be challenged. Great players want to be at programs with elite talent and have to win their jobs and be tested every day. But I do think it's slightly different. I do think we can maybe call this a new era in college football. And again, broad brush, I think maybe Urban was better in the past era and Ryan Day is better in this era, which would mean that in 2014, maybe Ryan Day wouldn't have gotten him there. But I'm not sure you would want Urban right now in this era running the show. So I think it's fair to ask when Ohio State is coming off a loss to Oregon, it's coming off a loss to Michigan, has you know been good but not spectacular these first two games. I think it's fair to ask a question like this. I certainly don't think that the answer is, is Ryan Day too nice? Is Ryan Day too soft? The answer is not yes to that question. I, I And I think it's no. I actually think the answer is no, but I'm not being dismissive of the question being asked, I would say, is where we are right now. They're still a very good program. They're still one of the top three, four programs in college football, and they still very likely are one of the five best teams, if not better, one of the three best teams in college football this season. There's some very good football ahead of this team, but I understand why it's being asked, and I think we all knew, knowing the personalities of Urban Meyer and Ryan Day, that this question eventually would be asked if Ryan Day ever lost a game, which he did not do in his first two regular seasons. And then they lost two last year, and it's been good but not great so far, and here we are asking the question. I understand it. I think it's interesting. I think it's reasonable, but I think we just also need to be careful. It's not that everything Urban did was right and everything Ryan is doing now from that culture-building standpoint is wrong. And it doesn't mean third Urban was wrong and Ryan is right. Okay, let's just keep the keep the context of, 
Urban Meyer, 14 national title. Awesome. 15 weren't as good as they should have been. Had some key loss, you know, a key loss in 17, a key loss in 18. Ryan Day, undefeated in 19 and 20. Two losses last year that absolutely matter. Let's keep the full context of both. But we all can acknowledge that they're different. And Tress is different, right? I think one of the things when you see a situation where Jim Tressel is back with his team for a 20-year anniversary and the way those players react to Jim Tressel, and this I think came up last week, when you have the 10-year and 20 anniversary of the 2014 National Championship team, will the players react the exact same way to Urban? I think maybe not quite. Do they love those rings, though? Absolutely. Did they need Urban Meyer as their coach to get that ring in 2014? I think probably yes. I'm not sure anybody else gets him there. First of all, Urban got him here to Columbus to begin with, and then he got him over the top. So that's where we are. I understand why you asked it, but I don't think it's a true declarative statement at this moment. Is Ryan Day soft or too nice? That's the rants. Them's are the takes. That's the talking of the Buckeyes here with Ohio State and being on the football microphone. Just here we are, friends being talking time. So um, that's me forgetting how to podcast. We'll be back on Thursday with Nathan and Steven taking some questions from you guys. I don't know. We won't, might not do a ton of rapid fire. I really want to dig in on this idea of evaluating Ohio State in situations like this. What do we look for? What's our own context when we talk about them? Where are we right? Where are we wrong? I think we might do that than rapid fire. I think we can have a good meaty discussion about what it's like trying to wrap your wrap your hands around a team like this a couple games in. Friday preview, Saturday, I'll be at the game. I'll be back. I know somebody was like, oh, thanks for, uh, thanks for gracing us with your presence again. It was the first home game I missed, uh, non-pandemic related. First home game I missed since 05. So um, happy to be back. Thanks to you guys for listening. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text. That's where I got all these great rants today from our great text subscribers, 614-350-3315. And read cleveland.com slash OSU. I think I already said that. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.